The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guys Guy Radio, and its platforms. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think and feel and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights of the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And we've got an out-of-this-world show for you today. No pun intended, but I've got Alan Steinfeld. He's got this best-selling book called Making Contact. It's an aggregation of a whole bunch of experts, and they're reporting in on extraterrestrial activity from their perspective and also Alan's own personal experience he claims he was abducted about 30 years ago and he was recently uh, hypnotized to go back and relive that experience and validate it within his consciousness. And he's got a lot to share. He's a really insightful guy. He's been in the metaphysical kind of area, if you will, for many years. I ran into him uh, first time about 10 years ago when he was hosting a workshop for Paul Selig, the worldwide renowned channel. And Alan's just been a person who's been on point in the metaphysical area for many years, and I'm very pleased to have him on the show. It's a terrific interview. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So what else is happening out there? You know, I've been doing, I've been meditating every day, sometimes twice a day for about the past seven months. Now, I know a lot of people have been doing it for years and years and years, but I've done other protocols to help kind of raise my frequency, if you will, And I blogged about it on my website, robertmanny.com. And I've been doing lots of things, uh, especially during the uh, shutdown. I've either added healthy habits or I've uh, extended ones I'd already been doing. So I've been been rebounding and doing qigong, uh, deep breathing exercises, meditation, juicing, dowsing, cardio. And I've talked about this many times. uh, Also uh, affirmations, and I say affirmations slash commands. And just putting the right vibe out there, for me, it works. And one of the things that has bubbled up recently, because while I'm in meditation, I usually ask, what is it I need to know right now? And invariably, I get some type of a download of some mini bits of information that are extremely helpful. And they come instantaneous when I ask that. And I trust that inner voice. Now, sometimes we get the inner voice and we ask ourselves, am I just talking to myself? You got to get past that. When you get past that and just accept it, that's your subconscious or your higher self or whatever, just listen. And what I've been told is that if I open up my heart more and use that instead of my mind all the time, things will happen faster, easier, easier. There's nothing wrong with doing hard work and being rewarded for it, of course. But we're trained kind of in our society where it's, you do this, you get that. You do this, you get that. You do this, you get that. But as we know, it doesn't always work out that way. 
Sometimes we do this and we don't get that. And it becomes very frustrating. And I think that, and I'm using the word think mistakenly, let's put it aside. I feel that, I know that, when we open up our hearts, and I don't mean in a sanctimonious way, but begin uh, living more from a heart space than the mental space, if you will. Because after all, the brain is a processor. Uh, and we think and think and think all the time, but m many times we don't tap into what is considered kind of a second brain. You really have three brains. You have your brain brain and your head, you've got your heart and you've got your gut. And we're learning more and more about the gut and now the heart. And if we use our heart more and come at things from our heart space, things can become a lot easier and can happen a lot faster and it's just something that I really feel is true, and it seems to be working for me, and it's a daily process of managing my thoughts so I don't just rely on thinking, but I open my heart, and again, not in a sappy, sanctimonious way, but come at it, come at the world, come out at each and every moment, living through that heart space and raising the frequency instead of just thinking everything through and getting into when I do this, I get that, and I do this, I get that, and I do this, and I get that. And once again, we know sometimes we do this, but we don't always get that. So that's a couple of my thoughts, something to chew on. But now it's time to get into the interview portion of our show. So special guest coming up right away, Alan Steinfeld. We're going to talk about UFOs, extraterrestrials, and out-of-this-world experiences. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Okay, now to the interview portion of our show. I've got a special guest. We're going to talk about UFOs. His name is Alan Steinfeld, and he is an explorer of consciousness. 30 years, he's hosted a TV series called New Realities in New York City. He's interviewed everybody in the metaphysical and not kind of new age space, including um, Deepak Chopra, uh, Marianne Williamson, Ram Das, everything that has to do with health, spirituality, UFOs, human potential, remote viewing, alien contact. And he's uh, hosted for five years uh, the Contact in the Desert event. He's got a new book out. It's called Making Contact, Preparing for the New Realities of Extraterrestrial Existence. I've got an advanced reader copy. It's fascinating. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio, Alan Steinfeld. How are you, Alan? Nice to be on Guy Guy's radio. Thanks. It's great. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're here. Tell us a little bit about um, the, your background and how you got involved with UFOs, because there's an interesting passage in your book about your own experience. But maybe you want to start at the beginning, kind of how you got into the New Age space and then how that led to a specialty in UFOs. Yeah, I was a big New Age spacer in the day, in the 80s, when that was a kind of popular term. But I really got into this whole exploration of alternative ideas in, in elementary school. I was fascinated with science fiction, and I, I was sort of obsessed because I felt like I didn't fit in to middle America. You know, grew up Long Island, suburbia. My father worked hard. My mother was a housewife and, you know, two brothers and, and, and me and everyone was kind of normal. And I felt like, what are they doing? Who are <laughs> they? What, 
Why are they going to Cub Scouts? Why are they playing baseball? I mean, baseball was kind of fun. I played football. I liked sports. I liked the individual sports. I liked the track. I liked swimming. I didn't, I, maybe I wasn't a team player. I don't know, but um, it seemed so, um, I wouldn't say fake because people are into, but it seemed like there was more to the whole ball game, shall I say. So I, I found science fiction, uh, Ray Bradbury, uh, Wrinkle in Time, um, all these books that were talking about other levels of reality. And, and they, of course, they were fiction, but I thought, you know, maybe it was a possibility that some of this was true. I mean, maybe it was coming from somewhere else. I was also fascinated by the stars, by the sky, by the moon, like what is out there? I mean, from what you could see of it in suburbia, New York, but I knew there was something more. I knew that um, there was more to reality than just the nine to five world and going to school. And I, I wanted to explore it, but I wasn't really given a chance until I started to read science fiction. And then, you know, I had a teacher said, no, you can't read any more science fiction because I was sort of obsessed with it. He thought he was doing me a favor, but he wasn't. He was trauma. I was traumatized. So I put all that possibility on the back shelf and um, went into English literature. I thought literature was a way to understand reality. I was always after what is this about? I had an uncle who was a psycho psychologist and he was talking about perception. And, and even at a young age, he was saying, you know, what we see is not the world. It's only what we've been programmed to see, conditioned to see. And I thought if that's true, then maybe if I change my perception, I would see more of reality. And that sort of opened me up to the possibility that maybe there were other dimensions overlaid in this. And I started to do photography. Anyway, that, it's right. kind of a background there. So yes. what happened to bring you to the point of releasing this new book, Making Contact, Preparing for the New Realities of Extraterrestrial Existence? It's all over the news. I mean, we've had kind of a drip, drip, drip over the last 10 years where you flip to page eight in the New York Post and there's some article about UFOs or some type of new technology. And then you have the shows on Gaia and people coming out, David Wilcock and Corey Good, and some people agree with them and some people disagree with them. And there's all this chatter around UFOs now. And now recently, this past couple of days, you've had uh, the the Navy, uh, the military basically acknowledging that here's footage of uh, that they shot of a UFO. So what's happening? What's happening right now, Alan? Well, thank, thank you for that. Nobody actually knows what's happening. That's sort of why I wrote that book. The Navy may have footage, there may be newscasts, but everyone's asking what's going on. So I wanted to write a book that would kind of be a baseline for those people, maybe like you, but you're a little more familiar with, or maybe people who have not heard of it and suddenly see the New York Post and say, well, the Navy's saying this is true. What's going on? And so I talked to the top experts in the field, people I really respect because I've been involved with people like Nick Pope, who worked for the Ministry of Defense in the UK. Have you talked to Nick Pope at all? Not yet. No, but I uh, read I'll his chapter. It's fascinating. Yeah, I'll see if I can set up an interview with him. Right. He's a great guy. He worked for the Ministry of Defense in, in Britain. They would actually go in and investigate these UFO sightings. And there were some that were explained and some that could not be explained at all. And like we're seeing here, the 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 government saying, yes, there's stuff out there, but they can't explain it. So I wanted to write away that I thought people I knew could explain what's going on with the higher technologies, with the 
the um, advanced sort of um, ways these ships are are moving about. And I think I, I, I equate it to quantum physics. It has to do with consciousness. It has to do with our perceptions. Grant Cameron in the book says, if you see a UFO, you were meant to see it. You are part of the story. And it looks like with all this footage that's being released, there's a bigger story that's unfolding. So the book is a, a framework in which to contextualize these news stories coming out. Who are they? Where they're from? And why are they here? Those okay. are the three questions I asked. Right. So we've got a lot to unpack. So let's start with, you mentioned that the, the government... Uh, either can't release information or is it that they won't release information? Because I've got to think from all the reading I have done, and I've read a lot of Whitley Strieber's book, and he's he's got a chapter in your book, and a lot of stuff on UFOs and alien encounters. And it seems like there's a lot of technology out there that there's been an exchange that yeah. we are really not talking about much because the government either they won't, they can't, or they won't, but they're not. So what's happening with that? Well, they can't and they won't, but they are, you know, so <laughs> they really are because there's been some kind of break within inside the Pentagon where there's been, I think, a fight for control. People like Luis Alessandro, who was mentioned in the New York Times article of 2017, saying that there's been money given to investigate this and in something called the Advanced Aeronautic threat identification program. These were $22 million that were given to a special Pentagon program to investigate. So something's cracking. The, the glass ceiling is breaking and they haven't because they, I think they can't, they don't know what it is. So if they don't know what's going on out there, why are we giving billions of dollars to a military that's trying to protect us when they don't know what they're protecting us from? Not that we need protection from these things, because I think if, if it was really a threat, we'd be in a lot more trouble than we're in. And we, the trouble we're in is our own making. It's the mess we created. So I think there is a government coming forward that's saying it's time people know the truth, that there are hundreds of hours of footage. There are crash retrieval of ships. This has been reported in the New York Times, July 23rd. Eric Davis had briefed the Senate Intelligence Committee about crash retrieval downed UFOs that they have, like you said, reverse engineered. And there's a book out called The Day After Roswell, where Colonel Corso says, yes, we've developed all this technology like the microchip from, um, you know, craft like Roswell, where we've been able to go in and see how some of this technology has been made and we've been able to duplicate it. So I think we're in for a great awakening as more and more of this technology comes out, I think what's been stopping is not so much the government, but those um, what um, corporate factions that don't want us to get whatever energy source these UFOs are using to get here. Obviously, they're not filling up their gas tank with. To, so there's At something Costco. else, right? <laughs> so there's something else, and when we get that technology. There's a whole economic shift. There's a whole reality shift. Imagine having a little box in your house that you just plug into. You never have to pay for electric. It's just right there. Free energy is the real game changer, not UFOs. UFOs, yeah. okay, great. Okay. I mean, they're, of course, big, but there's something else. Now, you mentioned also a very interesting 
And uh, I kind of agree with you that people who have been contacted have been targeted for contact, if you will. So with that, a couple of questions. One, could you tell us about your experience? And two, does the government know who has been contacted and are they tracking these people, in your opinion? And how do the aliens, do they want our government to know that people have been contacted? Okay, that's a lot to unpack, but I will unpack that too. <laughs> no, first of all, I'll go to the second question. I think there's been too many people contacted for the government to know. I think that if you come forward, and there's been a lot of military people that have been somehow contacted off the record. Terry Lovelace is one of them. And so he said he was con, and then of course the military investigated. But there's an increase in contact, in sighting. So it's become a grassroots movement. And does the government know, uh, what was the first question you asked? Um, your, your, your experience. Oh, my experience. Knowing, knowing that the individuals have been targeted for contact by the ETs and then your experience. Yeah, I think uh, the government doesn't know who's been contacted now because it's been um, a real uh, global movement. I think they'd like to know, but it's too widespread. And I think that's why making contact disclosure seems to be uh, a grassroots uh, movement. It. It how, be... about, how about you? So I friend. was traveling cross country with a girlfriend. We're driving for hours. We were really tired. We stopped by the side of the road off, off the Interstate 80 in Western Nebraska. I'll never forget that. We passed out. We passed out uh, um, because we were just tired. We thought, and, and we woke up in the morning, something had happened. We felt really creeped out because there is some strange association when you meet these ETs. They don't function on the level of consciousness that we're functioning on. They are in another state. This is my opinion, my experience. So when you meet them, everything gets a little warped and distorted. So in my dreams, I had some kind of vision of some beings. And then there was a mark on my leg, on the back of my knee. I didn't know what it was at the time. And everything was sort of hazy. All I knew was what I wanted to get out of there. I then went back to New York and met Bud Hopkins and his group. And they said, yes, that's an abduction mark. I first, I didn't want to believe it. It freaked me out. And then I became obsessed with everything to do with UFOs. I probably have 500 UFO books and abduction books. You then go into hypnosis to relive that experience to uh, validate it for you. I have to tell you, it took me 30 years to do a hypnotic regression because there was a traumatic part of me that didn't want to know. And there was another part of me that wanted to know everything. So there was a kind of a split within my psyche. I wanted to know, but don't tell me it happened. And met people like John Mack. So after 30 years, I was regressed back to that time, which, you know, in your deep memories, it's like happened yesterday, especially what they call flashlight moments. All I knew was something happened. I wasn't ready. It took me, it took me years of meeting people who have been regressed to say, okay, I want to know what happened to me. I have to say, when you're regressed in one of these, it's not like you're remembering what happened yesterday. Another, another part of your mind is accessing that information because it wasn't conscious. Trauma is not conscious. And I was traumatized, but I think, I can't say it was a good thing, but I think it was an evolutionary thing. It's like going to right. the dentist. It's not pleasant, but it evolves you. 
Alan Steinfeld, my special guest on Guys Guys Radio. We're talking about his book, Making Contact, and we're also talking about preparing the new realities of extraterrestrial existence. So the fear seems to be a big factor when you look at a lot of the TV or movies, whether it's Hollywood or it's documentaries or it's just interviews with folks. Fear seems to be a big factor. And Whitley Strieber, who's a real expert in the area, he's scared to... Hoopless, if you will, <laughs> about these these beings. From your experience personally, Alan, and also from your experience of pulling this book together and acknowledging all the other experiences of the people who wrote for you, yeah. should people be afraid? What people are afraid of, what I was afraid of, was the unknown. I think is it, the, I wrote the book because if you have knowledge, you're you're prepared for new experiences. These are new experiences that are not in our everyday reality. So the preparation is to tell people this exists, this is true, and you might meet this. So be prepared because reality is not what you think it is. I say reality is more solid than the ground beneath your feet. So fear is just because it's different. A lot of people are afraid of the unknown, but I, because of my experience, I, I now welcome the unknown. This subtitle for my television show is making known the unknown. The, the unknown is full of anticipation and possibilities. It's we only project what we know onto the unknown that makes it fearful. And that happened to me. It was, it was a different experience, but now I feel if I had that experience, I would be much more conscious, much more lucid, and much more ready to embrace it because they're not here to hurt us. They're here to meet us, but they are of a different frequency. So we have to raise to the level where we can meet them on their terms because they can't meet us from where they're at. So the okay. fear is getting used to what's possible. I would think that, and this is just my own opinion, mm -hmm. that if they wanted to, it would be game over because they're at another frequency. Their technology is far more advanced than us. So they're working with us and they could probably do a lot of things that aren't good for the planet, but they're not. I think they're actually looking out for us. Mm -hmm. There was some stories written about UFOs showing up in mass around the Capitol back in, I think, 1952, and some yes. type of meeting with President Eisenhower at the time to really kind of level set, okay, we're here, we can take you guys out if we want, but we don't want to do that. However, we want to learn more about you. And then some exchange agreements were made about exchanges and things like that. What can you tell us about that? Well, there's been a lot of people who've been contacted and saying it's time for us to clean up our act. We have to get rid of nuclear weapons. When we drop a nuclear bomb, it's not just disturbing for the planet. It rips a hole in time space. It disturbs everything around us. So we they're here because we have to get our act together. We have to clean up our planet. We have to stop making war. You know, they don't want... Uh, Santon Friedman, if you ever met him, used to say, who wants to be friends with a, a group of animals whose favorite pastime is tribal warfare? That's us. We have to stop. It's time for us to grow up. And that's why they are not interfering directly, but they're here to say, it's time to join the rest of the cosmos. Why are we isolated? Why is life in the universe something that should be shocking to the mainstream? Because We've been sold a wrong set of goods to say life is an anomaly. It's an accident. No, life, according to me and the writers of the book, is an abundant feature 
of the cosmos. It is everywhere. It grows in the cracks between the sidewalks. Why wouldn't it be out there in space? In your experience, Alan, and with your research, uh, and I've read many different things on this and watched a lot of the shows on Guy, et cetera, that many people have seen. What's your take on how many types of ETs are out there? How many are here on Earth? And how many are in human form? Right. Great question. I have to tell you, I haven't told anyone this. I just had a dream last night that they said there's 25 million. This came to me in the dream. Who knows if it's true? There's 25 million races within the local cosmos. I don't know if that's true, but I think according to Linda Moulton Howe in her chapter in the book, there are three competing extraterrestrial races fighting for control of this planet. There's the small grays, there's the tall Nordics looking blonde Nordics and there's the reptilians and they all want something different from this planet. And I don't think they're here to take over. I think they're here to adjust our frequencies so we can come into a bigger uh, platform so we can know more of reality so we can adjust to a bigger cosmos. That's why they're here. They're here for us to grow up and, you know, make sense of this other reality we're part okay. of now the grays suppo- supposedly yeah. are the ones that were in uh area what 50, is it 51, 51. Yes. and there's two types of grays apparently one that kind of leading the way and then there's cloned versions of those that kind of do the workers is that correct that that well i would say it's correct but no one really knows the right. answer so nothing is correct from what it looks I'm, like i'm, I'm yeah. putting the whole show in quotes so <laughs> no no from what it looks like, there's the grays that are not clones are here to get our genetic material because they've reached the end of their evolutionary line because they develop pure intellect. You've heard this, right? Mm-hmm. So they're taking our genetics. Maybe they're taking a piece of your eyes, someone else's skin, and they're mixing. They're creating with their vast intelligence, hybrid creatures that are that are, will be the best of them and the best of us. And so they're, I, I feel the cattle mutilations, you've heard of that, they're draining the blood and the soft tissue from these cattle to create huge vats to incubate these new hybrid beings. And their hybrid beings are not here to take over this planet. They're here to go to their own, you know, there's lots of beautiful planets out here, there. This happens to be a very, very lovely planet, but there's other places that these hybrid beings are going to start a civilization. They probably already have. So I think they are mixing among us just to learn the ropes of socialization, because one of the things the greys do not have is um, good bedside manners. They do not know how to relate to people on an emotional level. They do not have an emotional body. So our genes create or contain our emotional capacities and part of the genetic hybridization is for the sensitivity and feeling as the creative aspect that we have as human beings. And that's a plus okay. for us. Guys, guys, radio featuring Alan Steinfeld. We're talking about making contact, preparing for new realities of extraterrestrial existence. Fascinating conversation. Do you think, Alan, based on your research, that the uh, ETs were here before humans were on the planet and had a role in the development of human beings? I think human beings are a hybrid creature ourselves. I think we've been genetically modified back 200,000 years from Cro-Magnon man, where we were evolving primates that were upgraded with some special genes that made us more creative, more intelligent, more intuitive. This is a high, we are hybrid forms. We are not just human. 
we are something else. And so we're waking up to this bigger reality, this bigger mind, this bigger possibility that we are as human beings. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Absolutely. How about, Alan, uh, the moon and Mars? We hear they're obviously they're the two closest planets. We hear so much about them. Everybody wonders. I always think like, okay, 1969, we went to the moon. We haven't really, you would think over the past 50, 60 years, there'd be more travel there that it's Mm -hmm. overt. Yet we hear nothing and we hear nothing about what's on the other side of the moon. I've got to think something's going on. I don't know what it is. I don't know if the moon's hollow. I don't know if it's made of cheese or not. But it seems like why are we uh, ignoring the moon when we went there so long ago? Right. I think they did find things on the moon that they couldn't tell us. There's things that Neil Armstrong, I'm not a conspiracy person, but there's something strange about the moon. I think it is hollow. I think it was pulled into place by another alien civilization. There's been civilizations visiting us for thousands, maybe millions of years. They kept to themselves. Maybe they were the gods of old, like Eric von Donneken said. But I think they pulled the moon into place into, to balance life on this earth. And it's, it's not, how could it be a coincidence that seen from the earth that the moon and the sun are the exact same size? It doesn't make sense. Why does it only show one side to us? What's on the other side? I think it's here for our benefit. I think there are bases on the moon, like many people on the dark side of the moon. I think it's been, I think these beings have been looking out for us for hundreds of thousands of years, making sure we don't destroy ourselves to kind of like, like some children nurturing, like making sure that, yeah, maybe they'll fall down, but that we're here to survive and, and be welcomed in our evolution as part of the greater cosmos. We're, we're sort of an experiment by other being to see if we can make it. And, and, and yes, I don't think we're going to destroy ourselves, but it doesn't mean where they're going to clean up our mess for us. So yes, we are hybrids. We're here as an experiment. We do have individual souls that are part of our evolution, but we're part of a greater cosmos and it's coming soon. And the government knows this, that it's time to wake up to that reality. Well, it sounds like, I don't want to get too off track here, but yeah. everything I've heard recently by interviewing people in the channeling space mm-hmm. seem to be indicating that the uh, there's going to be a major change happening over the next 10 to 12 months. And it, I think from what I've heard, it's about a an ascension of frequency, and that frequency will affect people in different ways. In other words, if you're open and you accept the higher frequency, uh, things will be good. And if you don't like change and you want things to kind of go back to the way they were, and you're very, uh, very conservative about that, and I don't mean politically, I just mean you don't you want things to be the way you want them to be, you're going to be in for a bumpy ride because things are going to change. And the structures that we have in place with our collective agreements are going to be tested and maybe broken. What is your sense of all that, Alan? Well, the sense is that it's already happening. The last 2020, the last year, has been all about adjusting to a new frequency and a new change. And I think that's part of what you just said with some of the channeling that a whole other frequency. So we're in a birth canal and something new is unfolding. And the people who welcomed whatever happened, whether it was man-made creator, whatever this thing was with COVID, if you can welcome that change, and it wasn't pleasant, it's tragic in many ways, but it's something different. And we can move with that. Then we'll be more prepared for something even more unknown and, and possibly uplifting to come in. So we have to adjust with the new freak. We're, 
frequency. We're already in a different frequency than we were in 2019. The world has changed and it's going to keep changing until we adjust to a new vibration. And so this was a rude awakening, the virus, COVID, isolation, quarantine. But as we move into this, as we move into the unknown, something really great, I think, can unfold for us. How about Mars? Many things I've read and watched on various shows seem to indicate that Mars may be a place where there's a lot of mining being done, that there's military there, that there was a civilization there to kind of nuke themselves into, you know, right. the situation they're in now, which is a big, red, dusty planet. What, what, is, what are you being told by your experts in terms of what is the role of Mars? My experts and me in particular, don't, I don't think we have military people on Mars. I think there may be Martians there that have destroyed their planet or was destroyed by some force. There seems to be some radioactive frequency. I do think if they're still there, they're underground in the lava tubes that for a long time, in the 1890s, they say there was canals on Mars. Well, those canals may be I wouldn't say man-made, but Martian-made, not, not natural. There may be lava tubes there. So I think there might be underground life on Mars. I think Mars was a very Earth-like planet. There's some pictures from the rover and other places where you actually see a blue sky on Mars. I think they lost their atmosphere. They lost their magnetic field and they lost their surface water, although there is water at the ice caps, from some distortion, from some... Maybe it wasn't natural, maybe it was, but there was, seems to be life on Mars. There's a pyramid on Mars, there's a face on Mars. I think those are all real. So these are signs of a past civilization and we don't want to become like Mars. We have to save our planet. It's interesting that the earth is between the planet of war, Mars, and the planet of love, Venus. I don't know if there's life on Venus, but we're situated between war and love. So which way are we going? I think we should investigate Venus as well. So yes, life, life is abundant again throughout the cosmos. It may not look like us, but I'm pretty convinced it's out there. I mean, there's been hundreds of thousands of sightings just in the past 20 years around the world. And something's visiting us. I'm in Sedona now, and you just go out in night sky, you could see these little lights, and they're not just satellites moving across the sky. If you have night vision glasses, anyone with night vision glasses, which amplifies the lights a hundred, about a thousand times, you'll see lights in the sky moving. What do you hear, Alan? And uh, forgive me, I just want to pick your brain about That's a okay. lot of different Anything areas there, because I, I know you've talked to everybody. <laughs> I've done also some research that said they may be ET civilizations inside the earth i think the and, earth and a has a, i think there is a hollow um part to the earth i think uh if you listen to linda moulton howe and she is right. one of my favorite experts in the field someone i really respect she says there's a civiliz there's a base underneath antarctica there's underneath a mile of ice there's these old ancient structures that that are illuminated as you walk in, there's hieroglyphics on the wall. Only a, a, another extraterrestrial civilization could have built that. So yes, there are ETs monitoring us. They're under the oceans, they're inside the earth, they're in the Antarctic. But why doesn't the government tell us that? Because we would, I don't think we'd be freaked out. They're afraid that we would be freaked out. But 
you know, who was it? That guy who went to the moon, uh, Buzz Aldrin, went to the Antarctica and said, I've just seen the face of evil. What was he talking about? He was talking about these structures and these beings that are there. You may think they're evil, but I don't think they are. I think, like you said, they would have taken care of us a long time ago if they were out to destroy us, and they're not. I remember Admiral Byrd, he brought a whole armada down to, right. <laughs> to Antarctica to kind of clean things up there. And then very soon he turned around and hightailed it back. And yeah. obviously there was something there, and he seemed pretty shook up about it from what I've read. Yeah, there was a huge armada. People, that, that case is, I forget, what was it called, that case of the Admiral Byrd armada? He took a lot, and he was scared, I think, by UFOs that said, get out of here. We don't like you looking into our business, and we never heard anything about it. And he also discovered the entrance to the inner Earth, Admiral Byrd, which I do think the Earth, it's not flat, which is just stupid, but it might be hollow, just think if there's liquid on the inside of the earth and it's spitting, wouldn't it hollow out? The furthest we've gone into the earth is 10 miles physically. That's as, And so we we're, we think we know what's hundreds of miles below the crust. Of course, there's a crust, but there are also chambers inside the crust. So it's also, I think the earth is expanding. And this is something we don't talk about either because that's why continents are being pulled apart. So it's a lot more to just our planet which we need to be told the truth of before we even look out there. But why not? There's more out there as well. Let's talk about those three races we mentioned earlier, the mm -hmm. uh, the greys, the uh, tall Nordics and mm -hmm. the reptilians. Right. Do they get along with each other? Are they in conflict? And what's the conflict about? And then uh, I'll have some more questions about the individual races. Well, according to Linda Moulton Howe and some other people, there are they are in conflict with each other and they're fighting for the control of this planet. Maybe uh, some people say that um, or at least the people talk to Linda, some of them are beneficial. They're here to help. Some of them are here as hostiles to take us over and the others are neutral. So I don't know which ones are which, but there is a competition for this, the soul of this planet in a way. And um, we also have to help ourselves. The reptilians, so much has been made about, oh, these reptilians are evil and they're gonna eat people. And, and then I've also read that, you know, they're not all bad and uh, it's an aspect of ourselves. And there may be reptilians who have integrated themselves into corporations and our government and shape-shifting and all of that stuff. What's your sense? What's, uh, what do you know that you can share with us from your experts about the reptilians? Well, you know, it depends how far we want to go with um, possibilities. I think reptilians could be like people. There's some great people. There's some not so great people. There's some great places you want to visit and there's places you don't. So I think to say reptilians, if that's what they are, are one thing, you know, there's many levels. There's evolved beings that are here to help us. So I think what's happening to us with this different frequency is happening to the rest of the cosmos, everything is shifting to a new level. So what we thought was maybe bad or negative, maybe isn't so bad. Maybe I think the reptilians and the grays and everything else is also going to a new frequency. We're going from the third to the fourth dimension where feelings and emotions and telepathy and all these things that we think are science fiction will be found to be a reality. I teach remote viewing and it's people tune in to a non-local um, uh, object target and they get the target. We have that facility. We just have to realize who we are. 
I understand completely. I actually study remote viewing, so I don't and talk about it much. It works, though. You yeah, study it, it, and you see how. Well, it's your consciousness. Is- it's work. It's 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 a way of bifurcating your subconscious and your conscious to be able to see things that you normally wouldn't see and work the different aspects of your consciousness. But it is fascinating. That's because consciousness is not really here. It's this is the hardware. Our brains are the hardware that receives the signal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and so who we are is not just this body, we're much bigger than that. And that's the subtext to this book, Making Contact. The tall uh, Nordics, they look like people, like good-looking Scandinavians, if you will, in a way. Mm -hmm. You might be one, Alan. (laughs) What is your sense of them? What is your sense of them? And uh, you think they're integrated into human form and society? Well, uh, you know, what we call tall Nordics might be actually... uh, a disguise of these beings that may not be as nice looking. I don't know. So, so much is a speculation. We have to go based on our own experiences, I think. So yeah, there might be Nordics that are looking for controlling and manipulating. They might be, uh, not to be too out there, part of the Archon civilization. Do you know about the Archons? Yeah. Some people say the Archons have taken over our minds. They feed on our emotions. They control wars and politics and so maybe i don't know these tall white um blondes may be archons in disguise so what we have to do is find out who we are find out the vastness of our capabilities and then we can be at peace with the eat with the grays with the reptilians with the nordic so no one can control our minds, our emotions, and our future. That's the purpose of this book, to be in control of our own destiny, really. Now, what is, a few more questions for you, yeah, if you don't mind. You I love talking about this. What is the biggest surprise, like the aha moment when you pulled this book together and you said, wow, I didn't know that, or something that's come up recently that says, wow, this is really interesting and important insight that kind of pulls all this stuff mm-hmm. together. Well, one of the big aha moments was interviewing Carolyn Corey for this book. And she, she says, we, we can merge with these other beings. Our consciousness is so fluid that we wouldn't be taking, they wouldn't be taking us over, but we can use like a, a melding of minds to really understand the intentions of these beings that they can become part of us and and we can become part of them. And when we access, and she says, we're all part of some older star system. When we access that lineage, we start to bring in gifts from these other other realities, the other star systems. So if you're connected to the Pleiades, Pleiades, there's a gift, there's a special um, feature that those Pleiadian beings are about. And it's more about this group love. It's more about coming into a oneness and a love vibration. So these are gifts that we bring to the planet. This was new to me from other star systems. And when we can access those gifts, we increase the the sort of um, level of humanity that we're a part of. So yes, maybe we're from other star systems, but we're all here now. Why don't we share our gifts? What, based on your uh, experience and research, are you afraid of, Alan? That's good. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid that humanity's not going to wake up. I'm afraid that we're still going to be shooting each other like it seems to be every week, that 
there's some lunatic with a gun out there that that doesn't want to change. We are at this moment, this threshold of change where we can meet the others on an even playing field. And if people are in fear, if they're resorting to violence, just in your own home, if you're angry, if you're even addicted, I mean, everyone's addicted to something, but if we can get over these smaller trials, we can so much beauty and possibility awaits us. We can move into a paradise. It's, I don't think it's utopian. I think it's our destiny. So I'm afraid okay. that there'll be too many people who, 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 who are afraid. Okay. <laughs> I'm afraid Let, of that. Last question for you. A fascinating mm-hmm. conversation. Really enjoying this. What do people need to do to prepare themselves for the changes that are ahead? Thank you for that question. First, you have to be open to the possibilities that life is out there. Then you have to welcome newness in your life. It's about getting off of the cycle of destruction and and addictions and um, fear we've been locked into. You know, so think of the world as a beautiful place. Look at each other as part of a greater community. I think we have to come together as a global community, as a oneness. I did an interview with Bruce Lipton. He says that we do not have a being called humanity until we come into the values of what it is to be human, compassion, love, caring. We need that as a, as a baseline before we can really meet the others. We have to see each other as connected. I look at you, uh, Robert, and I see, well, yes, I understand. You're a sensitive being. You feel a lot. I can relate to you. We have to look at everyone with that degree. And it's practice. It's work. So if we can come into a oneness here, we are ready to meet the other onenesses out there. Alan Steinfeld, my special guest on Guys Guys Radio, Making Contact. It's the book. Alan, where can people find out more about you? Well, you can find out about me on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash new realities. I've done hundreds of interviews with people like Deepak Chopra, Lynn McTaggart, uh, Bruce Lipton, uh, people really making a difference and saying there's something new coming for you. Uh, Joe Dispenza, one of my favorite, he says that we have to need knowledge. We need to be prepared for new knowledge if we're going to meet the new realities that are unfolding. So something new is happening and I'm very excited to be a part of it. And thank you, Robert. Thank you for being on Guys Guys Radio. Alan Steinfeld, great guest, good job. Yes, look for me on Amazon, look for new, new making contact, uh, order on Amazon if you can, and I'm happy to sign autographs wherever you are. Awesome, Thanks. thank you. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, that was an out-of-this-world conversation with a specialist on ETs and UFOs and extraterrestrial activity on the planet Earth, Alan Steinfeld, our special guest, talking about the book Making Contact, Preparing for the New Realities of Extraterrestrial Existence, and I wonder what's going to happen with planet Earth. A lot of experts weighed in in Alan's book, and I guess we have to think about what did we learn 
Well, I think we learned we have to have an open mind that we don't have all the answers and maybe some folks in control have more information than they're, le than they're letting on. And it might be for our own safety, it might be for controlling interest, whatever, but certainly there's more happening than meets the eye. If you think about it, it would be almost totally impossible for us to be the only living creatures in, in the entire galaxy and galaxies beyond the, our galaxy and beyond that galaxy and other galaxies because we can't comprehend, none of us can comprehend limitlessness. In other words, you think about, okay, as far as you could go out in the distance, then there's something beyond that and something beyond that and something beyond that. And ultimately, we can't comprehend that it just keeps going. Is there a wall somewhere? <laughs> I don't think so. So we've got to think out there in the cosmos, there must be other planets and other dimensions and other environments that could house life and life that could be similar to ours. A lot of the experts in Alan's book talk about Earth being a, a planet that's very desirable that and also is also on a path where a lot of these interstellar travelers pass by, and it seems like there's a lot of interest in our planet and in humans. So I think the biggest takeaway from Alan's book is that there's a lot of information out there, some of which has been released, some of it which has been held back, and I think there's going to be more coming to us soon. It's been a drip, drip, drip over the last decade or so, whether it's been in the movies or page eight in the New York Post where there's something about UFO objects possibly seen out there by pilots, and now the government is agreeing that there are unidentified flying objects out there that many of our military flyers and even commercial jet flyers have seen, and they don't have an answer for us. So there's more than meets the eye. So Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening on KCAA here in Southern California at 8 p.m. Pacific Time, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 10.50 a.m. The podcast and my YouTube drop every Thursday worldwide. And the YouTube is under my name, Robert Manny, and we call it Guys Guys TV. But just look up my name and you'll find the station there, the channel there, if you will, on YouTube. And we feature the interviews on YouTube. We don't have the entire show, but we have the interviews there. On Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. Pacific Time on KCAA, the show is rebroadcast, so you have many opportunities to listen or watch Guys Guys Radio. You can listen live, you can stream it, you can download it, and the podcast is pretty much everywhere you consume your podcast, so I, I hope you will join us. You can also catch more information about me and the whole Guys Guys brand and movement at my website, robertmanni.com. We've got over 300 blog posts about life, love, the pursuit of happiness, all types of popular subjects and areas of interest that I think you'll vibe with. You can also download three free chapters to my novel, The Guys Guys Guide to Love, it's about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. It's been called the male successor to Sex in the City. And I just want to take an opportunity. I'll read the back cover so you get a better idea. If you're a, if you're a regular listener to the show, you've heard my little spiel about my book. But let me read 
the back cover and you'll get a sense as to what the plot is all about. Guys, Guys, Guys to Love, a sexy romp through the fast-moving, high-stakes world of Madison Avenue. When Max Halliday, a rising New York ad man, joins a glitzy midtown agency, he knows the game is winner-takes-all. But after Max's best friend Roger Fox, a serial womanizer, seduces his billionaire client and puts his career in jeopardy, Max strikes back, penning The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, a column exposing the many Rogers prowling the city. Championed by magazine publisher and former flame Cassidy Goodson, Max becomes famous, or is it notorious? With the women of New York clamoring for more, sparks begin to fly between Max and Cassidy. Can Max survive his instant celebrity and cutthroat rivals to discover where his heart really belongs? The Guy's Guy's Guy to Love is a fast-paced tale of flawed men and savvy women competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps. And again, it's been called The Men's Successor to Sex in the City by iconic author Dan Wakefield. So I hope you can check that out. We're here for you on Guys Guys Radio every week. I am screening and qualifying the best guests I can find that offer new, fresh information that you can consider. And as I always say, I don't expect everybody to do everything and buy into everything that every single guest has to say, but after 460 two shows. There's a lot of information you can glean, and I think it'll help you as it's helped me in my day-to-day life because I'm always learning something new from these guests, and I'm doing my very best to only allow guests on the show that have something fresh and informative to say. So I'm here for you on Guys Guys Radio. I'm very appreciative of all the work. My producer, Chris Marcello, she's amazing. The music that you hear on the show, most of it is by Noba and Ryan Gilpatrick has also been with me from the beginning, so thank you, Ryan. And most of all, thank my guests. And also, I thank you, my listeners and viewers. You guys have been tremendous. Our numbers are growing and growing and growing, and I love doing what I'm doing. So we're going to see you back here next week. Until then, like I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. <laughs>